Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a somewhat sleepy episode of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are tired, um, just constantly, constantly tired. We've been tired ever since we started this podcast. <laughs> I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. I'm particularly tired today, though. This is something different. <laughs> Well, it's much earlier there than it is here, so yeah. I've, I've had a little while to get into not being as sleepy <laughs> as I was before. Yeah, normally, I don't know, normally Saturday mornings, because we start this at 9 a.m., my time, and normally it's like I get up around 7, I have time, I just kind of do whatever. This morning it was like, I don't know, I have a little bit of a headache forming, I, yeah, I'm just having a day. You're already having a day and it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> I know. I haven't even left my house yet. Well, we're going to have kind of a light episode today, um, but we have lots of, of, I think, fun and interesting things to talk about, including two new movies. Amazingly enough, we're actually going to talk about new films. Yeah. Uh, but to start with, um, I, I think it's a good idea just to mention this, just because I find it funny. Uh-huh. Um, and given that Karen was the one who put this on our agenda, I think that she finds it funny, too. Uh, so I want you to read it exactly as I wrote it. <laughs> so, confirmed, Paul Thomas Anderson is a troll. Um... <laughs> This this actually comes from a an interview that, that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, who's the director of the of Licorice Pizza, is the director of um, There Will Be Blood, Phantom Thread, etc. For those who do not know who who Paul Thomas Anderson is, um, and this was an for an those interview- of you who don't know, congratulations. I'm jealous. <laughs> I know a lot of people who have no idea who he is. I'll say his name and like I don't. Who are you talking about? And then like <laughs> if you say Phantom Thread, it's like oh yeah, I remember that movie. But otherwise, it's just he's not that he's not that popular really <laughs> <laughs> he's very popular on film twitter yes he, he definitely appeals to film twitter in a lot of ways but apparently a... is where he likes to hang out too <laughs> well that's the thing so in a recent interview with IndieWire, he um you know he was talking about licorice pizza he was talking about um kind of what inspired him to make the film all these different things and then it came out that he actually has what he calls secret social media accounts um and and this prompted me at least to go like, so there is a good chance that some of the random accounts that did not have any tweets suddenly popped up when Licorice Pizza was first released um, might actually have just been Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I always found it a bit weird because at least when I was on there, I remember when people began talking about Licorice Pizza and I mentioned it, right? I think I mentioned what the movie was about and people got mad at me for saying what the movie was about. Um, and almost immediately I got several responses from accounts that only tweeted about Paul Thomas Anderson and had (laughs) only been around for like a month. And I was like, is this really like the, does this guy, like, does he have these kinds of fans that would join Twitter specifically just to talk about him? I mean, yeah, I think he might, but, but yeah, the, the one specifically that I, um, that I distinctly was like remember you and I talking in Slack and going, we think this might be him, was you had tweeted out my review of Licorice Pizza and had commented on it. And then this this quote unquote person um, responded to that tweet and was like, basically telling you to grow up or something like that. And um, so we started talking about it and you brought up like, it's really weird that these brand new accounts are. And so we were saying like that either has to be him or it has to be someone from the movie because this just doesn't make sense. So I started looking at that account's other tweets and there was one where someone had said something about like someone else. It wasn't about us. Um, 
had said something about like not liking licorice pizza and the response was well i'm so glad now that i know how you random stranger on the internet feels about this movie and i was just like that is 100 percent him he did this this is totally <laughs> him <laughs> because hello you couldn't be more random of a person on the internet than someone with zero followers following one account that just started in august and, and it only talks about, like, licorice pizza. That's right. Like a lot of those accounts... Like, oh, the I first remember... tweet from that account was about how the Brie Larson as Captain Marvel thing wasn't Brie's fault. It was the casting director's fault. So it was like, okay, so the first tweet on here <laughs> is to disparage Brie Larson and a movie that's three years old. <laughs> it's definitely Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. I don't know. It. it I... And he probably did that because she turned him down. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, <laughs> I, I always, uh, I always find it a bit weird because there are plenty of celebrities that are on Twitter and you can tell that there are some celebrities who run their own Twitter accounts and others who are obviously, you know, it's their team is just using it to promote whatever. Right. I always find it a bit weird when you get those, those celebrities and it tends to be directors too. Um, I think maybe because directors are not as visible as, as actors, um, but every once in a while, you get these directors who will, like, really engage a lot. I mean, James Gunn does. David Ayer does. God save us. <laughs> um, uh, what's his name? Scott Derrickson. Um, and and you get the, these guys. And after Edgar Wright. And you get these guys. And after a while, it's just sort of like, this is too much access. There is too much, like, really, you know, Edgar Wright shouldn't be able to, to like, find my Twitter account and tweet things at it and be like, you know, if I say, oh, I don't like X, he shouldn't be able to retweet that or to come on and argue with me because it's not like, what What even is that? There's there's way too much um, access, I think, on both sides. And it do, it can turn into these pylons, like uh, um, David Ayer has, has called out people, basically. And, and you've got to kind of know that that's something that's going to happen. You know, I don't like Suicide Squad. Well, this is an interesting thing that you said, says the director of the film. And then suddenly you get like, you know, thousands upon thousands of responses. Not yeah, that I've exactly. experienced this at all. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like, in, in the case of my review for Licorice Pizza, when you tweeted that, you didn't even tag it. There's no hashtag. It's just the link to my review and then a comment about it. And so this means that he or quote unquote that random person um, was looking for these these comments. In yeah. the case of David Ayer, I believe it was the same thing. I don't think you had used a hashtag. The only, Like very few directors I've seen actually use social media wisely and well. And one of them yeah. is Ryan Johnson, who doesn't go out trolling all the people who are terrible to him. And maybe it's because he's been on the receiving end of so much hate that he knows how to navigate it and not be a jerk. Uh, also, he's just seems to not be a jerk in general. But um, yeah, I, I just it's so odd because I think that's that's the weirdest thing about it. And I think you and I both have been um, kind of on the receiving end of that where um, someone is clearly searching for their name or their project because we're not using a hashtag and it's coming up. It just gets very weird. I find it weird that an artist would be able to like find random people, right? Not, not talking about even responding necessarily to a review, although that's problematic in itself, right? But to just find random people who like say something, you know, I, I don't like blah. It's just like, you know what? That's their fucking right, bro. That's their right to not like your movie it's okay mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you made a bad movie um, right it's well, a very odd thing yeah and in the specific case of paul thomas anderson and licorice pizza i would because okay so i actually pulled up in the IndieWire article in the interview with eric cohen he says the, so the question was are you a lurker and he said i have secret account secret accounts all over the place it's hilarious when my daughter was younger, she got Instagram, and I tried to get a secret account to follow her. She was like, it's not a secret. I'm seeing you. I was like, oh, well, the only way you're going to film right now is to be aware of what's happening in the world. And then he goes on to say more stuff. But it's like, okay, if, if he's doing this because he thinks it's funny, then just going and calling people babies and stupid for not liking his movie is not the way to do it. 
Like, engage. Poke the bear. Have some real conversations and say, like, well, you know, this is what I thought about it. You know, pretend to be someone who's actually thinking critically and not just defending your own point. Like, I think that actually could be kind of funny. Um, but he's not doing that. He's insulting people and he's looking, f- he, he literally is an internet troll looking for ways to rile people up and make them mad. Yeah. It, the, the whole thing is very weird. And of course, you know, we do have to say we don't have any like solid evidence <laughs> that this was Paul Thomas Anderson, but the fact that he talks about that and then he talks about having these secret accounts and things like that. Yeah. I, yeah, like I say, it's very weird. It was very weird to see, <laughs> to see, Paul Thomas Anderson's Stan accounts suddenly just appearing out of nowhere um, and specifically addressing anyone who kind of made a derogatory comment about licorice pizza. It was just, it was odd. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somehow now, now I'm less surprised by it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now it all makes so much sense. But, um, but to your other point though, about, you know, directors just having so much access, I think, and this is one of the, this is my response on Twitter to you was I think part of the problem is that sometimes we forget that these guys are are normal people Mm -hmm. and people suck. (laughs) So, and I think that's part of the problem is like it, it removes that barrier, which kind of gives us that, that like, um, I don't know, that kind of protective layer of like, Oh, they're this like creative person. Like, no, he's just an asshole who's able to make movies. Well, and, and also, you know, artists, anyone who is an artist is really sensitive, especially to negative criticism. Yeah. Um, and that's got, when you're a particularly high profile artist, that has to be difficult in, in a certain sense because you see a lot of it, right? Um, and and so I think that if you're a particular type of person, it would be really easy to be like, ah, oh, I'm going to search, you know, for my film's name. And to be like, oh, my God, all of these people love it. But this one person hates it. They are wrong. They're horrible human beings. You know? And I will destroy them. Yeah. And, and it's really easy to do. You know, I guess maybe it's better to, to be like a lurker and essentially be like a random troll account than it is to actually be, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and get a bunch of sycophants who are um, uh, going to go after anyone that you sort of blast on Twitter. Uh, so... There's that too, I guess, but it's, I just really, I, I wish that, that like artists would just keep off of Twitter generally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because too much of the time they get off of Twitter when they're kind of forced off of Twitter. (laughs) Yes. By events. (laughs) Yes. By, by, by things that they themselves have done or said or tweeted. Um, Yeah. So, Paul Thomas Anderson, if you follow us, sorry, sorry, bro, we don't like most of your movies. <laughs> that's just, exactly. that's just true. Um, hope you're hope you're listening. Uh, <laughs> so, I, well, let's move on to like a completely different topic. <laughs> yeah, just go from one thing to another. Let's move on to a completely different topic. There's we no a, real segue there. We have a couple of films that we wanted to talk about today that have just recently been released, actually, and um, on streaming. So I actually got to see them. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and the first one I wanted to talk about, because I think this actually feeds into another another topic that um, I'm very excited about. That I've just been observing this kind of rise in these kinds of films. Um, but I want to talk about Marry Me which is the 2022 film directed by Kat Coro and um, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. And Jennifer Lopez plays a pop star who is going to get married to her, to her boyfriend on um, like this massive televised concert while they're singing the song, Marry Me. And right before she goes on stage, she finds out that uh, her boyfriend's been cheating on her. And so rather than marrying him, she picks a guy out of the audience who's holding up a sign that says marry me because that's the title of the song uh and, and it's not even his song his friend like shoved it in his hand yeah. and she <laughs> marries him instead on stage <laughs> and so of course this then spirals into you know a, a romantic comedy and it's it's silly like it's deeply silly but one of the things that i i loved a lot of things about this movie but one of the things i really loved is that it is exactly what it is like it's so 
earnest Mm -hmm. and so like no this is this is real this is serious right (laughs) it's like and i'm like but she picked a, a random dude to just marry on stage and that is so wrong but also you know what fine in this world that's what you do okay pop stars do that it's <laughs> it is so, it is such a fun film like i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it and it was lovely to see jennifer lopez kind of just get to to be that go back to kind of those romantic comedy um not roots but like she she made a lot of romantic comedies and particularly in the earlier part of her career uh, and it was lovely to see her in that role again. Owen Wilson is charming as fuck. Uh, I had a great time with it. But so what What were your feelings about this, Karen? Oh, I loved every minute of it, start to finish. And yeah, it's exactly what you think you're going to get when you watch the trailer for it. And it's it's just, I mean, I grew up on these movies, basically. You know, I, I grew up on... While you were sleeping and sleepless in Seattle, and and um, I'm blanking now on others that I love, but yeah, and there's this, there's the rom com formula, so you basically know, like, okay, this is ultimately what's gonna happen, but but every time the journey's a little bit different to get there, and um, basically just based on who the characters are, and this is just it follows in that perfectly, and they're both so freaking watchable and just seeing them together is so sweet and i love how for for both of them it's it's more of just like they live in two different worlds it's not that there's pretense or anything like that she's this huge pop star but she pretty immediately is willing to be like herself in a lot of ways not just with him but with with like her people too and and so it was refreshing because there's there's not that added layer of like having to break down her walls or something like that so yeah yeah Yeah, i really liked that too i thought that's a good point that it isn't about fixing her or changing her or you know showing her that oh this lifestyle is not what you actually want it is what she wants she's she's good at it right Mm -hmm. um and and you know and he challenges her at one point to go without social media and and that's obviously helpful for her, but it also is not like you now have to give up, you know, being a pop star. In fact, there's no indication, spoiler alert, there's no indication at the end of the film that she's going to give any of that up. Right. Um, or be- that he even would ask her to. Yeah, it's never an issue. It's never even a question. It's more like, you know, maybe sometimes you need to think about what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you don't have to live your entire life online if you don't want to. Right. Um, and, and those kinds of things. But I liked the fact that it wasn't um, about him, like you said, about him fixing her or changing her. And it wasn't about her fixing him and changing him. It was just kind of like, oh, we sort of are actually more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love early on, like, the next, you know, the next morning after this marriage has happened, when her assistant, who is Samuel Tarley for Game of Thrones fans, um he and he also just you know was in moonfall too it's like so cute to see john bradley everywhere but um anyway when he's just like you got so lucky the rando that you picked out of the crowd is a good guy he's not an asshole he has a good job like if you're gonna randomly pick a stranger you picked a good one (laughs) well i like that they address that you know because yeah Wait a minute, it's just, just like marrying this guy, like totally just, just this random dude. I also appreciate the fact, because this is something that drives me crazy in movies, is like they forget about the whole filing paperwork part. And it's like, oh, well, they exchanged vows. They're married now. <laughs> and like in, um, anyway, like a lot of movies. Anyway, so I like the fact that they actually address like, well, it's not legal because we didn't file a marriage license. Okay, we'll just go do it then. <laughs> so yeah yeah it's it's an adorable film and and this this is kind of what i I also wanted to talk about it's a very earnest film um it is exactly what like you say when you watch the trailers like this is what this movie is and then you Mm -hmm. watch the movie you're like yep that's what it is like so if you enjoy that then you're gonna like it if you don't enjoy it you're not going to like it but there's i feel like there's been kind of more of a rise of these kinds of films like really within the past year or so um of 
very earnest, straightforward movies. And I'm thinking about things like even something like Matrix Resurrections, which I joked what is like what happens when you are just like, let's no more subtext. We're just going to have text. And mm -hmm. I feel like that that's true for films like this. You know, we've, we've had people have talked about the fact that there haven't been that many romantic comedies anymore. And some of it, I think, is because romantic comedies at a certain point in the kind of the late aughts, right, were getting really um, cynical. There were so many twists and turns and like faking people into relationships and all of that. And it, it became exhausting almost to watch these films. And there was there was definitely like a, a strong edge of sexism to a lot of them. Um, but it's nice now to see films that are very like Marry Me or um, the other one that came to mind is Happiest Season, which has a lot more twists and turns than Marry Me does. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's still that same idea of just like, this is a movie about, a comedy about people being in love, right? That's what this is about. Uh, and we're not gonna get cynical about it. We're not going to, um, we're not gonna, you know, make major overarching statements of, about life or love or anything like that. Just like, this is just cute. We're gonna watch two cute people be cute together. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I like this new trend in more earnest films. Yeah, I mean, when I even first heard about this, because I remember a couple years ago when Crazy Rich Asians came out, and it was this question of like, man, we haven't had a movie like this in forever. Is this a new era or is this a one-off? And and I think that Crazy Rich Asians is a little bit more serious than movies like Marry Me. But yeah. I think that that really did kind of open this door and remind people that like, no, we actually do like these movies. We like watching people that are beautiful and sweet and, and like each other um, also be in love and be together and... Um, yeah, so I'm I'm happy that we're back to good rom-coms. There was definitely a time in there where they were churning them out still, but they were terrible. Yeah. And well, uh, yeah. Yeah, and they were also getting like I said, they were getting really toxic. They're they're yeah. representing relationships that were not good relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about movies like How to Lose a Guy in, in Ten Days. That's the first one that came to mind too. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's those kinds of films where it's not like this is a this is a good thing. This is like actually no, this is people hurting each other a lot. Yeah, and 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 then it, it kind of all working out in the end. But it is nice to see a film where like in Marry Me, in a lot of ways, the stakes are very low. Right. If right. they break up in the end, it's not going to be the end of the world for either one of them. There isn't this sense of like, this is their last chance at love or anything like that. But it's it's like, you know, the, the big climax of the film comes at a math competition. <laughs> you know, th those that's the level of stakes. And it's nice to see that, especially right now in like the midst of this pandemic that's been going on for way too long, the sensation that like, you know, things are falling apart. It is nice to have those kinds of, of comfortable stories, right? Mm -hmm. About like, oh, what would happen if a pop diva fell, like, fell in love with a guy she picked out of the audience? Wouldn't that be fun? And it's it's very, like I say, very low stakes. Yeah. Well, and, and on that note, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well because it's it ultimately is like eh, if they don't work out they go back to their lives nothing has really changed for them they've had this kind of fun adventure for a few months and it's okay they would they will both be okay if this doesn't work out and so that helps the audience too feel like eh, you know i'm along for this ride i want to see them be happy but also i just if, if that doesn't yeah. mean they're together then that's okay too and um Obviously, I mean, the movie's called Marry Me. I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it has a happy ending, because come on. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Even then, I like watching this movie, I was just like, I know how this is going to end. Yeah. Like, you know, you know it. You can you can tell within the first 10 minutes how this movie is going to end. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it's the lack of toxicity in films like this. And I hope that they keep on making them, because... I enjoy that. And I, I was kind of sad when there were a number of people who were like, oh, this is such a by the numbers rom-com. Just like, you know what? I am fine with that. Pretty people being charming together. And if you don't like by the numbers rom-coms, why are you watching it? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> it told you what it was. Who asked you, Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs>
just gonna assume that every like random troll on Twitter is Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> just like who asked you, Paul Thomas Anderson? I'm just gonna start doing that. <laughs> So yeah, so Mary I was Jane... very confused too. Sorry by the people who were like, "There's no chemistry between them." It's like, did we watch the same movie? Because their totes is totally like, <laughs> they're, they're adorable is. together. Also, I must say that you know, and uh, I'm really glad. I'm really glad to see older people getting to be in these movies. Like yes. you know, Jennifer Lopez is not a, a, a twenty something anymore. No, Neither she's in her fifties. Although there was a comment about her being like north of thirty five or something. I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and to that to that end, the the new movie, The Lost City, which I'm also really looking. I'm forward so to, excited for that with Sandra Bullock, who is also I think. If she's not in her 50s, 50, yeah. is she in her 50s now? Mm-hmm. And Channing Tatum, who, by the way, is like 14 years younger than she is. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what? Awesome. Awesome. Get it, oh, girl. Get- <laughs> people are like, oh, it's like Romancing the Stone, but bad. And it's just like, fuck you. First of all, Romancing the Stone is a ridiculous movie, and I love it. I know. And have you actually all, watched that movie? Come on. <laughs> this looks ridiculous, and I have a feeling I'm also going to love it. And also Sandra Bullock is like getting it. With a guy who's much younger than she is. <laughs> exactly. Good for her. Exactly. Anyways. I do Mary- appreciate the Marry Me letterboxed review that said, Every generation has its Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Marry Me is available to watch on Peacock right now. You have to have Peacock Premium, but... um, It's also in theaters, which is where I watched it. And it is an adorable film, and I I think we do recommend watching it. If you like romantic comedies, this you'll enjoy this. If you don't like romantic comedies, don't watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Because this isn't going to change your mind, probably. (laughs) And we just don't want negative people complaining about it. Uh, well, speaking of genre films, let's, there, <laughs> there we go. I have a transition. Hey, speaking of genre films, there is another film that is also out on streaming uh, this past week that actually, Karen, you recommended last week, I believe. Yeah, I did. Um, and it is Steven Soderbergh's newest film, Kimmy, which is a, uh, a th- like it's a sort of rear window-esque, although I'm going to have something to say about that in a minute. Um, thriller about a, a tech worker who goes through a who goes through audio streams coming from an Alexa-like product, uh, and she thinks that she overhears a violent crime and then has to deal with what she does with that. This and this is also set during the COVID pandemic, um, and this is a girl who has agoraphobia, not just because of the pandemic, but also because of her own experiences with violence, and it's. I really enjoyed it. It's a really well-made thriller. I think it captures kind of the paranoia of our time period in a really interesting way. Um, and, you know, and, and it's so close to, it's so close to reality because, you know, it's set, it's set during COVID-19 um, and you've got this device that's called Kimmy, but is is really, it's Alexa. It's, you know, any of the many different products you can get now. The only difference being that like live human beings actually do filter through streams Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the conceit but it it is also about surveillance it's about um uh human interaction and and it's all set within all this this kind of thriller mentality uh and that's i actually i think where it wobbles a little bit but karen what what were your feelings about this movie yeah i i thought it was a lot of fun i didn't think it was anything groundbreaking or or particularly new i think the like you mentioned rear window and we'll talk about more of your thoughts in a second of what it really is more like and to me i think there are shades of rear window i think there are shades of a lot of movies this is clearly inspired and and informed by lots of different movies and there are lots of of influences i can i can pick out um, watching it, but I think what ultimately makes the movie work is just Zoe Kravitz is so damn watchable and compelling as an actress that the character that she has is interesting enough that um, even when things are silly, even when like unintentionally, I think sometimes silly, uh, or it gets kind of cliche. It's still like, yeah, I'm along for this ride. I want, I, I'm invested in her story. I want to know what happens to her. And 
the fact that this is all basically happening because of an evil billionaire who is, you know, just trying to force his creation into the market. And there's a whole lot of, of backstory there, obviously. But um, I just think it, it really does capture the times that we are in, in a way that uh, doesn't feel bleak. Like, it manages to avoid that. Um while also just being entertaining. Yeah, it, it feels real. It's not like this it's not dystopian, right? Right. But it's it's and it's addressing the pandemic without really making it the center of the story, right? Yeah. It's it's some it's a story that's happening within the context of the pandemic. Um and then and then we also learn things about the about um Angela's character that also begin to develop you know not just the fact of living through the pandemic but her experiences and why she is agoraphobic and why she has the issues that she does um, and also why this particular event like affects her the way that it does um one of the the i guess problems that i had with it is that i think by the time you act that it actually gets to the point where it becomes this more standard thriller i think that's where it stops being interesting i would have mm -hmm. i wish that there had been more of her actually trying to discern what was going on in the audio streams because it's pretty obvious within it doesn't have that rear window or um the other film that a lot of people reference is blowout uh, it doesn't have that those elements of did I actually hear what I or see what I thought I did, or is this something that is that I'm producing right that right. I'm overlaying my own interpretation onto it? And it didn't have that in the same way. And I and I think that there are a couple reasons for that. One, the actual use of images um, as she's listening to the audio streams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and second, the, the fact that it becomes so clear so quickly that what she's hearing is actually a crime. Right. Uh, and, and I was kind of disappointed in that. And that's where it sort of then falls into this more paranoid thriller when she actually has to leave her apartment. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to go into too many details about what happens. But so as soon as you get into that, it, it then becomes this a little bit more of, a, of an enjoyable but fairly standard thriller. Whereas it could have done a lot more, I think, with that aspect of surveillance and that aspect of uncertainty. You've got this young woman who's been basically closed off in her own apartment for a, a very long time, right? And is engaging in the outside world in a very different way and, and might be interpreting it through her own experience. And I would have preferred to see a little bit more development of that. No, I totally agree with you. Um, and that's where I say, like, this is an entertaining movie. I don't necessarily think it's an amazing movie or a great movie or one of Steven Soderbergh's best movies, but it's it's entertaining. It's very watchable. Um, but yeah, like, there's so many references to other films in here. Not, not references, but uh, so many things where I'm watching it going, oh, this reminds me of The Net, and that reminds me of Wait Until Dark, and... Um, like so many, so many other movies. I, yeah. And, and I, and I was, I was honestly trying to decide if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely sets the film, um, in a very specific subgenre. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I mentioned, you know, we mentioned Rear Window, I mentioned Blowout. Um, I think that The Net is a, is a good one. Uh, and the other one that kept on occurring to me, especially after she leaves the apartment, um, was the conversation mm -hmm. uh, Coppola's film from I think like seventy four or something like that? <clears throat> but it it has that same that kind of paranoia, and I think that that's interesting, particularly in a contemporary context. So that's where I think that those references might be doing some interesting work, um, because all of the films that we've just mentioned are not old films, but they're older films. And now we're actually talking about a fairly believable surveillance society, right? This, like I say, this is not, this is like a little step from Alexa, basically. Yeah, I mean, this is, like you had said, the only difference really is that there are humans monitoring what's happening. But the reason that they're listening in is to improve the service. It's to, like, go in and, and fix words and stuff like that. And it's like, this mm -hmm. could totally be happening right now. Yeah, well, and this whole idea, I mean, we know that there, that, you know, 
Alexa has been used as a two-way microphone, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can make phone calls on it, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's that like that sense that we're also inviting surveillance technology directly into our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's there's almost the assumption sometimes. I mean, at least I have this assumption. If I don't I don't have an Alexa, etc. But if I did, I would assume that some someone else would be able to hear this someone else would be able to tap into it now what you probably would find out is that i'm looking up recipes for how to make ravioli but (laughs) but there is that like that willingness to to be surveilled right and so um for convenience essentially uh and so when you have something like kimmy and i i do like the way that soderbergh uses the kimmy device it's not bad necessarily and it's not good in fact it's actually helpful at at a number of places um but there's also that sense of like anyone anywhere can listen to me Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah it's it's an interesting film i like i say i think that the third act is very well done and is exciting and is very satisfying but i think it could have been a lot more interesting than it was yeah, I, I agree with you. And and I think that um I think part of the thing about this is that it's um oh, because it's only ninety minutes, so he's not really um taking a lot of time anywhere to really develop anything. And but I, I totally agree with you. I think that if this had really focused more on the did this really happen, is she because of her own experiences uh interpreting something that's not there because like wouldn't it be possible that the person was watching a movie or something you know like there's no there's really no uh other alternatives it's like once she hears it she knows she hones in on it and basically she's just trying to clear it up enough to like to like as evidence that this has happened yeah exactly and uh and i i understand you know i understand the whole like crazy quotation marks is the woman crazy kind of narratives are are problematic in a lot of ways but i would have been really interested to see more of that psychological elements coming into it yeah versus this being a, a, very, a fairly like i say fairly straightforward thriller in a lot of ways uh so yeah so i i mean i recommend watching and i think it's a fun movie i think it's a well-made film um it's you know like you say nothing spectacular i really am tired of people like every time there's a movie that even looks like a thriller um i'm really tired of people using the word hitchcockian yeah it is not hitchcockian no uh i know that like a number of people are like oh it's like rear window but with sound it's just like there there are two fucking movies that are (laughs) rear window with sound do you not at least two that i can think of immediately yeah uh do you not like no i know one of them sucks but still uh <laughs> do not know film history right so so let's just stop comparing every every thriller that comes out to hitchcock please yeah exactly i mean there like i like i said there are so many movies that are uh clearly influences in this one and honestly, Rear Window wasn't even the one that I thought of because that is so far from this story that it was like, but like afterwards when someone pointed out, I was like, I guess kind of a little, but that's really not at all what's happening here. And that she's not yeah. confined to her apartment. She just doesn't want to leave her depart- her apartment for psychological reasons. And what's happening isn't happening across the street. <laughs> you know, it's like a very different yeah. movie. Yeah, so. no, exactly. I mean, there, there's a little bit of that with the, you know, her looking at her neighbors and communicating right. with her neighbors, etc. Which, again, I like, I think it's really interesting in view of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and is kind of a good pointing out of the way that we communicate with human beings and the way that we feel close to other people in a situation where you both either can't or don't want to be close to people. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, but beyond that, it's it's just like yeah. But I mean, it's a it's a thriller that does not make it Hitchcockian, right? Exactly. So Kimmy is available to watch on HBO Max. It's definitely worth it. It is an hour and a half film. It is a lot of fun. It's a very good kind of paranoid thriller, um, and I think we both we both enjoyed it with some caveats. Yeah, and I'm always here for more Jaime Camil in movies because I love him. Even when he plays bad guy. (laughs) 
Rogelio de la Vega for Jane the Virgin fans. <laughs> well, uh, so let's move on to um, what we've been watching otherwise. I've been watching a number of different things, um, but Karen, I want to start with you because I want to drink of water. So, <laughs> so Karen, what have you been watching that you want to recommend to people or not, or tell them to avoid completely? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... Let me think. What have I been watching lately? So with the Oscar nominations out and anybody who listens to my other podcasts, watch and talk, I apologize because you're all, you've already heard me talk about a couple of these, but um, I am trying to catch up on the rest of the films that I hadn't seen yet that got nominated. Um, and so I started with the, um, the international features. I still have one more. I still haven't watched the hand of God, which is on Netflix. I realize <laughs> it's sitting in my house, like literally in my TV and it has been for months, but, uh, I've heard that I'm not going to like it. So I've just been putting it off anyway. Um, so, but I started with Blue Nana, a yak in the classroom, which is from Bhutan and it is a very, um, very normal, very, uh, overdone, um, frequently done story about a kid from the city, a young man from the city who gets sent out to this really remote school, uh, like the remotest school in the country. And the education secretary even says it might be the remotest school in the entire world. And it probably is. And of course he doesn't want to go. He has other big ambitions in his life, but he's got this contract and he's being forced to go. And he gets there and, you know, pretty quickly gets to know the people in this tiny, tiny town and the kids are freaking adorable and they just, you know, warm his heart and he really likes them. And, and so it's a very normal story. We've seen it a lot. But what I really liked about it was that it, it really is an introduction to another culture that we haven't seen before. We haven't seen depicted before, really, because this is Bhutan's first uh, for our first international feature nominee uh, for the Oscars. Um, we haven't really seen a lot of films come from this part of the world. And um, I've never been to, to this country. So, um, so it was just really it was interesting to see some of the customs and um, learn a little bit about how their government works and stuff like that. So, uh, so for that, I think it's totally worth watching. Um, and, and again, even though it's one that you've seen before in many, many iterations, it's still, you know, it's still sweet. And, um, and honestly, the children in this movie are so cute. And it's like, they're, as far as I understand, they're not professional actors. In fact, some of them, their characters are their acting name. And, um, but they're just, they're adorable. And, and the, the kids alone are worth watching the movie. So, um, and it's beautiful, beautiful locations and, and, um, you know, pretty music. It's, it's just, yeah, it's just an enjoyable film. So I'm so happy that it got nominated. Um, for an Oscar and um, I'm so happy that we're starting to see um, a little bit of branching out and you know seeing things that aren't always just like oh look France and Italy are in it again <laughs> I mean Italy is in it again but you know what I mean <laughs> so yeah so that was one uh, I also watched Parallel Mothers which is the Almodovar film and uh, it's really two films in one. And I liked a lot of things about both of the stories that happened, but I felt like when you smash them together into one movie and don't really give either of them enough attention, it suffers. And so this is one where it's like all the praise it's gotten. I'm like, I don't understand why it's not getting some critique for not feeling like a complete movie, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen that yet, have you? I, I still haven't seen Parallel Mothers, although I've been wanting to see Parallel Mothers for so long and it upsets me so much. <laughs> I missed I missed one of the screenings that I actually considered going to, but it was like uh it, it was on a day that I, I absolutely had to travel and it was before the Omicron wave and mm. I was like, Oh, I could have I could have gone. <laughs> but I didn't. Um 
yeah yeah i mean i it, it's it sounds interesting I'm, I'm i'll be interested to see what i think of it uh yeah i will be too i mean the two stories that are happening you've got on the one hand you have two women who are both pregnant they meet in the maternity ward they're sharing a room and so their babies are born on the same day and there are some things about that experience that kind of bind them together and then they um end up reconnecting a little while later and becoming much closer but there are some complications in there that i don't want to give away um and then the other story i mean they're connected because it's the father of penelope cruz's baby is this archaeologist who's working with an organization who their mission is to um, locate mass graves from the franco regime and uncover them and give the families in these towns the opportunity to give their their relatives proper burials um anybody who doesn't know about the franco regime uh it's pretty bad look it up um but uh but yeah so i mean this is all this is based on stuff that's really happening all over spain today and so it's like you have those two interesting things because um they meet when she goes to him because they heard the town that she's from they know where the location of this mass grave is and it's like her grandfather was buried in there like was taken and killed and was put into that and like everybody from her town had you know fathers grandfathers that had been taken and so that's how she meets this guy and so that's the connection but i felt like i felt like the story of these two mothers was an interesting story and i really wanted to see it come to more of a conclusion and i felt like it didn't really get a conclusion at the end i was like but i don't understand what's going on with them now and then the story about uncovering these graves and stuff there's a whole other very interesting story there and i would like to have seen that get more more play and more um expansion i guess too so that was what was frustrating this one was not nominated for international feature but it is nominated um Penelope Cruz is nominated for Best Actress, and it also got into uh, original score for Alberto Iglesias. So, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Well, I I know that this is I think the first time that um, that Abu Navar has actually tried to deal with with the aftermath, really, of the Spanish mm -hmm. Civil War, and actually talking about that um, in in a film. Obviously, so that that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of interested in this film, definitely. But also, I just tend to like his work. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth watching. Like I'm not I'm not saying it's a it's a bad movie at all. It's just it feels like two incomplete movies put together. Hmm. So yeah. well, I I will report back when I have finally seen it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I believe I it's coming to streaming really soon. I I was actually just looking. I think that it's available to it was whatever in theater rental. Oh okay. Um, so yeah, that that's what came up, or maybe it's it's just it's finally getting phased into that um and i i admit i might i might pay i might pay the premium price for it yeah we'll <laughs> i went and saw it at so there's this um there's a theater not too far from me that does a lot of of art house films and independent films they also do some like you know big studio stuff too but i got there it was like a thursday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon. It doesn't matter what day of the week it was, Karen. Come on. Um, anyway, so I, uh, but it was the afternoon and I went at a time where I figured there weren't, it wasn't going to be crowded. And I got there and I was literally following this really old couple into the theater and, which I didn't think much about. That's fine. But then they sat down a couple rows in front of me and when the movie started, the husband just was talking and i was just like oh my gosh what what is, what is going on like this is going to be so annoying he's just going to talk through the whole movie and then i realized he was reading his wife the subtitles oh i was like oh my gosh <laughs> like i can't be mad about that that's the sweetest thing ever oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so then i was telling my friend about it my friend is uh a filmmaker and he was like i think there's a short story or a short film in that and i was like i want credit <laughs> yeah it was suggested by Karen Peterson. 
Aww, yeah, it was really adorable. sweet. And then I couldn't be mad. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Well, talking of uh, talking about Motovar, one of the directors that influenced him uh, in in a lot of his aesthetic and a lot of his his focus is a director that I've been watching a lot of because he's on Criterion Channel right now, and I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed these movies, all of which I've actually seen. Um, and that's Douglas Sirk, uh, who's I think most famous for making these very lush Technicolor melodramas from the 1950s. But right now, um, four of his kind of most famous films are on the Criterion Channel, including Magnificent Obsession, All That Heaven Allows, Written on the Wind, and um, Imitation of Life. And these are kind of the most melodramatic <laughs> of the Cirque melodramas. And one of the things that I like about Cirque, um, is, uh, this is actually something that Roger Ebert observed back in, I think like back in the, the 70s or 80s. And what, what Ebert said was to appreciate a film like Written on the Wind takes more sophistication than to understand one of Ingmar Bergman's masterpieces because Bergman's themes are visible and underlined while with Cirque the style conceals the message. And I mean, that's, that's a very, it's a great observation. I'm not certain whether it, whether you need to be, you're more sophisticated if you understand what Cirque is getting at. Um, but it's a good observation that like Cirque uses kind of the trappings of these really extreme melodramas to actually investigate some very serious and very important and complex issues. And so in, in something like All That Heaven Allows, which is about um, Jane Wyman plays a widow who begins a relationship with her gardener played by Rock Hudson uh, and they're living in this very small kind of suburban town where everybody knows everybody else's business. And there's all sorts of things that go into the issues that are within their relationship, including the reaction of her, her adult children, um, the way that the, the rest of the town treats them, their issues of class and of sexuality. There is this undercurrent basically that you know her kids and, um, and the other people within the town basically think that she shouldn't have sex, right? Now that her husband is dead, no, she has to remain separate and preserved at some level, right? That she's she's got to keep her house to basically a shrine to him. And um, and it's it's interesting because Cirque is not a subtle filmmaker. Like, you know, you have these, there's an entire scene in um, All That Heaven Allows where like Rock Hudson is feeding a deer in this technicolor uh, snowy landscape and it's gorgeous, but at the same time, it's silly. Like you look at it, you go like, this is extreme. Um, but the undercurrents of that in actually getting to deal with things like, you know, the expectations of women, the expectations of men, um, gender and sexuality, uh, is is very interesting because Cirque essentially gets away with making these kinds of films by making them melodramatic. Um, and, and a lot of his films have things like, you know, unexpected, unexpected babies and, uh, uh, you know, the, one of his most famous films is Magnificent Obsession where basically, basically Rock Hudson like is the is the worst piece of bad luck for Jane Wyman, <laughs> where like first he his actions result in the death of her husband and then she's blinded because he keeps on trying to talk to her. Um, and but it, it it turns into this like actually really interesting discussion of spirituality and um, and of disability and it's it's a fascinating film in in that context, but it's still this extreme kind of soap opera elements of the, of the films. Um, my personal favorite, I don't know if you got a chance to watch this, Karen. I is... started to, but then some things came up and I wasn't able to finish. That is not an excuse. That is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, my personal favorite is Written on the Wind, uh, which stars um, which stars Rock Hudson again. Uh, Dor <laughs> Malone, Lauren Bacall, and Robert Stack. And basically Dorothy Malone and Robert Stack are the um, second generation of oil barons in the small Texas town that they basically own, right? And, but they both have some pretty spectacular problems. And Robert Stack winds up falling in love with and bringing home Lauren Bacall, uh, who, all, who is like kind of this, not, not innocent, but sort of 
normal person. Yeah, Um, she's definitely, like, I saw enough of the beginning to see, like, she has a good head on her shoulders. She just kind of ends up in this situation. Yeah. And... Uh, and Stack's best friend is, is Rock Hudson, who is actually, you know, like competent and capable and um, is very deeply desired by Dorothy Lamone, uh, Dorothy Malone. Uh, and, and so what basically what happens is it turns into this kind of pushing and pulling love triangle that is just very complicated and very bizarre. But underneath a lot of it is this, this discussion of masculinity because Stack's essential problem is that he always, he feels emasculated constantly by his sister. And then also simply by the presence of his very masculine best friend uh, who he feels is constantly kind of the man that he is supposed to be. So you've got this really interesting um, dialogue that goes on about masculinity and about representations of masculinity and also about femininity and Dorothy Malone her character is this hypersexual woman um, who is essentially she's essentially using it to get attention and to to make people upset and to challenge people um, and then it, it you know begins to be revealed that a lot of this is because of, of Rock Hudson constantly refusing her um, so you've got a lot of really interesting issues that go into this movie. And at the same time, it's ridiculous. Like it really, really is. There are so many just like melodramatic moments in this film. And one of the things I love about it is that there's a revelation partway through the movie and no one ever actually says what it is. You know what it is, but they never actually are like, what? here's what's actually going on with these people. <laughs> um, Partially because this is the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to finish it. I really was enjoying what I was seeing, but then I got interrupted by a matter that I needed to attend to. So. It's It really is a good film. Um, and what I like is that it kind of opens sort of like, oh, okay, like I kind of see where this is going. And then it just goes off the fucking rails. I don't know <laughs> if you've gotten to like Dorothy Malone's character yet, but she is... She is delightful and terrible at the same time. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten there yet. I don't think. Uh, so, I i mean, I really recommend all of these films. Um, I think that actually the weakest is probably the most famous, which is Imitation of Life, um, which is a, a remake of the 1934 film of the same topic. And one of the weird things about, I think, Cirque's Imitation of Life is that it actually, even though it's made in 1959 and is it is kind of redoing the same story of a film made in 1934, the 1934 film actually feels more progressive in terms of representations of race. Hmm. Um, and, and there are a lot of good things in Cirque's Imitation of Life, and I'm not saying that it, it isn't progressive in a lot of ways, but the 34 film, like, not just race, but also gender. Um, in the 34 film, basically the two women kind of get together to make their own product, right? They become entrepreneurs. In Imitation of Life, the whole story is that Lana Turner wants to be an actress. Uh, and she's supported by her black maid in wanting to be an actress. And so there's there's even more of a division between the two in the 59 film than there is in the 34 film, which is, is kind of, it's weird in a lot of ways. Just like, it's actually more regressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like every version of A Star is Born gets a little bit more and more um, regressive in terms of the female characters. Yeah, it's kind of disturbing when you watch a film from the 1930s and you're like, oh, this actually had more like progressive things to say than a film made in like, you know, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, but I do recommend all of the Cirque melodramas. They are all on um, Criterion Channel, and if you have to choose just one, please, please watch Written on the Wind. I, I <laughs> love that movie. I uh, will finish it. I promise. <laughs> I'm going to make you talk about it next time. Okay, sounds um, good. So, any any last thoughts, Karen? Any final things that you wanted to talk about before we close this out? Yeah, really briefly, there was one other show, and this was my Citizen Dame Recommends this week. Um, there's one other show I wanted to mention, which is on Netflix. It's called Murderville. And yes! Yes. Oh my gosh. It is so <laughs> funny. So Will Arnett plays this this senior detective um, named Terry Seattle. He's never been to Seattle. 
And uh, basically, the the premise of the show is there are six episodes. I hope there will be more because it's so so great. Um, but there's six episodes. Each one is less than forty minutes, I think. Um, and there's a different guest star each time. And so they'll come in and it's sort of a little bit of an, well, not sort of, it's a lot of improv because what will happen is the guest star is coming in as this rookie homicide detective. They're using their own name, but they're not like really necessarily playing themselves. Um, and they're not given a script. So they're going in to solve a homicide. Um, and they're given like, here's the cause of death. They're given some specific clues and then they go to interview the witnesses. And then at the end of it, they have to, to guess based on everything that's happened, who the killer is. And so the guest stars are Conan O'Brien, Marshawn Lynch from the Seattle Seahawks, who actually ended up being my favorite. He was so funny. Um, Kumail Nanjiani, Annie um, Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Sharon Stone was also great. And I was like, I think I might, I think I would be friends with Sharon Stone. (laughs) And then um, Ken Jeong. And... So they're, they're kind of like, I remember I was really into these books, the two minute mysteries when I was a kid, where it'd be like, you know, these, these mystery stories that were two pages long and there was like this famed detective and like you read the story and then at the end you have to guess who the killer is. And then the answer would be like upside down on the next page or something like that. And so you could see if you were right or not. And so these stories all remind me of that. They're very... They're very much things that we can figure out as an audience. Um, but really what makes it so funny is watching these stars interact with Will Arnett. And they don't have a script. He obviously has a loose script. Um, and it's just, it's hilarious. And I cannot recommend it enough. It's delightful. You can watch the whole thing in a couple of hours. I, I I like that even though he has a script and everybody else has a script, he's, they still have to respond to whatever the guest star is doing. Right? right, yeah. And and I like the fact that there are definitely times where she's just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Marshawn Lynch. Like, I was just Great. like, how does Marshawn Lynch have better timing than some of the comedians they have? Exactly. Like, his timing, I was just like, you, sir, you have impeccable timing. <laughs> Yeah, and after, like, I mean, he's so well-known for, he's notorious for his media, um, his his reluctance to talk with the media when he was actively playing football. And so I was really surprised to see just how, like, all-in he was and, like, how he was just like, I'm here, I'm ready to do this, and it was great. He was really excited about it. Well, have you yeah. seen him? He's got a very brief guest spot on, um, a, on an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I haven't seen that. And and the whole the whole guest spot is that he is the witness to a crime, actually. <laughs> and uh, and they bring him in to talk to him. And Rosa is really excited to meet him because because he's notorious for not talking, right? <laughs> and what happens is for like ten minutes, he just won't shut up. He just keeps on talking, and she finally like shout shouts at him, just like shut up, Marshawn Lynch, just shut up. <laughs> And he just keeps on going. And he's actually really funny. Like he's talking about making how to make quesadillas the entire time. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, oh so my gosh, that's great. That that was kind of my first exposure to him actually. So I was like, oh, okay. Like he, he's gonna be funny. But yeah, he's he's great. Um I loved Kumail Nanjiani. He he's he is so like annoyed at the time. <laughs> He's yeah. just like, no, I'm not doing that. Just like, but you have to, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like Ken Jong, he is the one in the last episode and he just cannot keep a straight face. And it's like, dude, you're a comedian. How is this so hard for you? <laughs> but that just makes it funnier, you know, that like, he just cannot, he, he keeps breaking character. And, <laughs> and it's so funny. Like if you watch in each episode, I think eh, some more than others, um, like the corpses are having a hard time yeah. not breaking character and stuff. It's like you can see them trying so hard not to laugh. It's <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, love that show. It's great. It's on Netflix. Yes, it, it is a lot of fun, and I 
I I also really liked um, Annie Murphy's spot because yeah. she's she's trying to take it seriously. Like she's uh-huh. she's just like I'm gonna it's like I'm I will gonna solve be, this murder. I am gonna solve this murder, and she makes up facts <laughs> and, and that that are like well observed. At the same time, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is happening here? But but I really I really like it where she's like having to stir the uh the soup with her hand and she's just so pissed off she's like i can't ask questions i can't focus oh yeah that's yes, great it's, i i agree i second your recommendation <laughs> nice uh, well, I think that, that is going to close us out for this, you know, kind of grab baggy episode. Um, we will, of course, be back next week to talk about more exciting things. And, um, and as always, we want to thank our patrons who include Adriana, Ali, Connor, Estefania, Nathan, James. Why did I say Nathan? <laughs> Heather. <laughs> Heather. Wow. You want to try that again? <laughs> we'll try that again. <laughs> No, no, I want to leave it on here. All right. Our patrons, Adriana, Ali, Connor, Estefania, Heather. Well, now you have to leave it so that Heather knows why you're laughing when you say her name. James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, and Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much. I do know who you are. I do not know where Nathan came from. Um, <laughs> this is obviously like a prediction into the future that like someone named Nathan is going to join our Patreon. Yes. If you are named Nathan or you're not named Nathan and you want to join our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash citizen Dane. And you will get lots of fun stuff. We are getting um, the little gift bags uh, set up and sent out. So also to any of our patrons who haven't sent us a, a U.S. address, please um, get that to us. So if you if you want your stuff, which we have promised you, yes, um, we're just waiting for stuff to show up. Now we've we've ordered some things. We're making yeah, yeah. We're we're putting some things together. So we will get those out just as soon as possible. Um, and of course, you get our bonus episodes. Our most recent bonus episode is uh, a February episode that focuses on the Love Witch, which you know honestly we had no idea what we were doing. It was very exciting. <laughs> Just like we have no clue what we feel about this film. Um, <laughs> I like it, but I, t- yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's great. So, so if you want to hear us kind of stumble through that and and figure out what we think works about the Love Witch, uh, join our Patreon. We also have our Zazzle store, which does have a bunch of new stuff, and we're really excited about it. So please go on to our Zazzle store now, zazzle.com slash citizendamepod. And of course, you can send us a couple of bucks via Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com slash citizendame. And of course, we still have our website. That's citizendamepod.com. We're working on building that up a little bit more, adding some new things to that. Um, and so you can check things out there. You can also get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod. We're also on Letterboxd at citizendame, where we've got all sorts of fun lists that we will continue to add to. Um, You can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LHBusiness. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for today. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs> what is Nathan? <laughs> Call my friend Carol, who works down in City Hall. Carol, uh, Senior Detective Terry Seattle here, calling from Homicide. Uh, listen, I've got a, a special request from a, a hot young uh, homicide trainee who would like to change his name, and desired name is Detective Bagovich. Too much emphasis on the itch. You got it because it's French. So it's. Bagabich. Sorry, it's uh, Detective Bagabich. Bye bye. Great. Thank you.